People are obsessed with facts. As a culture, we're starting to experience data burnout. Everybody loves an expert. There is so much potential to dig at something that's a lot deeper and truer in a story, right? I'm more interested in the space between the writer, the reader, and the story that's floating in between the two of them, right? It's not because I meant to say something and nobody got that, that it makes it false, right? There's these layers in fiction. There's just so much depth that you can get from fiction that I, I wish people were more open-minded to. Is that much of a, is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post-9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 45 features Michael Jerome Plunkett, a United States Marine, a writer, a reader, an author, captain of the PB Abate Book Club, and host of the Literature of War podcast presented by Lethal Minds Journal. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. Michael Jerome Plunkett. Welcome to Veteran Made. Thanks for joining. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Good to see you. Um, I am, uh, I'm super excited about the new podcast. And obviously, this is kind of a, uh, for those that are listening, they'll hear this pr pretty quickly uh, after, after we record uh, in order to, to kind of get this out. We were on Instagram and I, I saw that the, the new podcast is coming out. And obviously, we've been in PB Abate Book Club together. I don't participate as much as I would like, but sometimes. And, and we've also been on some Dead Reckoning uh, courses and different Zoom sessions together, so we know each other fairly well. Um, but I saw the podcast pop up on the on the feed and and got really really excited to hear more about it and uh, asked if you could jump on. And you're like, dude, how's Monday? I'm like, let's do it. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, of course, any t any chance to sit down and talk books, uh, I'm down for it. Awesome. Uh, well, for those that don't know, I'm sure we've got a fairly decent crossover audience. But for those that don't know, if you could just give us a brief primer kind of on, on who you are, where you served and, and what you're doing, and then we'll just dive right in. And I want to hear all about the podcast. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jerome Plunkett, uh, United States Marine. I got out as a corporal about a year ago. I did six years in the reserves. Uh, after getting out of the Marine Corps, I went and got my MFA at the College of Charleston for fiction writing. Uh, around that time, I got involved with uh, Tom Schumann when he was starting Patrol Base Abate. I uh, came on as the book club captain, uh, a couple of veterans gotten together and we were all coming up with different clubs that could kind of benefit the veteran community directly, right? So the book club started off, it was just a couple of Zoom sessions and very quickly we we started to amass a uh, good size, good club size, uh, started sitting down with some really awesome writers, a lot of love and support from from the literary community. Uh, and we have our, our patrol base out in Montana where we host uh, an annual retreat. We get to go out there, reconnect with nature, reconnect with other veterans and I'm also a writer myself, working on a novel right now. Had a couple of short stories, essays published, and uh, that's about it. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's we. I first met you through through the book club, but then we first like really got to know each other working on the uh, the memoir writing course together through Dead Reckoning. So I've, I've read a little bit, obviously not not from the novel, but read read a bit of your of your writing, and we've given each other some feedback, which is always a great experience to uh, to go through and really get get to know somebody pretty well, uh, pretty pretty quickly. Is literature and writing and books something you've always been interested in or was it something that you became interested in while serving that's a good question i it's it's for me it started when i was in about the third grade i was like a, i was a kid for the first you know i started learning to read when i was in first grade i guess or whatever around that time and i i hated it i was putting like some special special reading groups with like you know i had to stay late with the teacher and all that and then i still remember having this 
visceral experience of picking up uh, Treasure Island for the first time when I was in third grade. It was like drop everything and read, which was like the program they, that my teacher used to have us do. I think it was pretty common. And I had uh, I just like picked it up off the shelf. And it's one of those moments where I still remember just being plunged into this world of uh, treasure hunting and pirates. And I really, you know, I've gone through phases where I got a little bit older and reading wasn't cool and I kind of wasn't doing it as much, but I've always returned to it uh, more so than anything. It's the concept of stories, right? Like my happiest memories as a kid were being, you know, at the, the Christmas party and listening to my grandparents tell stories about uh, my parents or what it was like growing up or my grandfather who was in the Marine Corps telling stories about when he served in Korea. Um, so it's always been a consistent thing throughout my entire life. Uh, I think when I started to take it more seriously was probably sometime in college, you know, uh, before I joined the Marine Corps, I actually went to undergrad, got out and then joined the Marine Corps afterwards, kind of did things in a little bit of a strange order. But I mean, stories are, are what we tell ourselves to figure out who we are. I, I'm a big believer in that. And my time in service definitely uh, propelled that even further. You know, this kind of a lot of veterans go through that experience where they're they 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 think they know who they are. They join the military, they completely lose who they are. Then they got to figure that whole process out pretty much on their on their own, right? You're kind of get, especially in the Marine Corps, you're given an identity. They strip that away. They're very good at stripping that away and then giving you a new identity. And uh, whether that identity sticks or not is besides the point. But yeah, at, at some point, you kind of need to reclaim that for yourself. And I see storytelling and literature as, as a great venue to do that. I feel the same way. I feel like there's I mean, Treasure Island was a big book for me when I was a kid as well. Like, you know, Peter Pan, I, I enjoyed the like the pirates, you know, pirates thing. And then I, I, I always gravitated towards that kind of fantasy, right? Like sword and sorcery, like that kind of thing. Treasure Island and Peter Pan kind of then propelled me to all these different things. I, I was the same age as Harry and all of his friends. So I read the Harry Potter books like year by year, right? As I was 11, 12, 13, all the way to, you know, 17, 18. Um, and, and actually finished, finished the seventh Harry Potter book while I was, while I was uh, uh, finished in a tech school, right? Like after a boot camp and, and was, was in service. So that's really interesting, but I've always been anchored by the stories that I read as a child. And there's some that I reread like the Harry Potter series. I reread every few years. There's some other of those kind of books that fall within that genre you know, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, um, A Wrinkle in Time, right? Like all of those, all of those books, like I go back to them because it takes me back to, not, I'm trying to escape to where I was when I was a child, but it's just anchor points along the way. And I continue to have a little bit more life experience and a little bit more kind of understanding. And it's kind of through story and understanding myself and where I was, where I am and where I'm going kind of through those. Was there a genre for you from Treasure Island or did you kind of like jump around? What was your... Great question. I jumped around a lot, right? Like I, I'm a big believer that there's really only a handful of stories out there. They're just being retold with different characters in different ways, right? That's a very old, I mean, you go back to the ancient times, it's always, you know, there's the hero's journey, of course, but it's always kind of man versus man, man versus himself, man versus nature. There's these commonalities, right? That that run through pretty much any story, whether it's, you know, the Treasure Island, Harry Potter, or anything that, uh, you know, is being published today. For me, I, I always, you know, when I got to like, be around 1718. Uh, I got really into the avant-garde, artsy fartsy. I was all about it. You know, I, I wanted to get into the. I, if you, the, the weirder it was, the more I wanted to read it. Uh, which isn't. I, I think that's like striving to to look for originality, something that like kind of pushes outside of the the normal bounds of what of what you're used to. Uh, so that was a big thing for me. But that can, in its own way, and I think the literary world at large, especially the the highbrow literary world, kind of suffers from this, where it becomes so 
so niche, so specific to a certain thing that's like you and your three friends think it's cool, but it's really not accessible to, to, to everybody else out there, to the, to the, to the average reader. Um, and that's what, you know, I've, I've kind of brought it back to like, how do I tell a good story? When, when I sit down and I'm trying, I've got an idea for something very quickly, I can like go way off into the weeds and try and like reinvent the wheel. And oftentimes I just need to bring it back to like, what was, what was that spark that, that pulled me in and said, like, I need, this is something that's interesting. This is something somebody's going to want to hear. Uh, and how do I, how do I make that accessible and just tell a good story as simply and as directly as possible? Right. I, I don't know what your MOS was in, in the Marine Corps, but I know you're in emergency services now, right? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was an 0331. I was a machine gunner. Um, yep. spent most of my time with the cap platoon, uh, second battalion, 25th Marines. Um, and then yes, now I am an EMT down in South Carolina on 911 response. So what got you, what that spark of, of loving stories, enjoying stories, what turned that spark from I want to go consume more of those stories too. I want to continue consuming and start creating. What what happened? Great, great question. I mean, so I was an English major when I was an undergrad, right? So that, and I actually was our class that the first year they, they did this program where instead of a thesis where you, you know, analyze like a literary text and you write a paper about that, they actually opened it up to a creative thesis. So I was able to write a novel for my, to, to graduate. That was what my final project was. And I loved it. It was amazing. I, I got, I was able to get a little bit of grant money and stay the summer. I went to Gettysburg college. So I was out in Pennsylvania. This novel I was working on was about, uh, not, it wasn't a historical fiction novel per se. It was more about memory and history and the way a small town has this major traumatic event happen to it. And that carries on for 150 years later. Right. And that's kind of what I was working on. It was an awesome, awesome time. Uh, and then I went out into the real world and couldn't sell it anywhere. couldn't get it published. And it was like, well, this is not, you know, I felt like I'd been kind of maybe led astray a little bit. I knew I was never going to be rich off of writing, but it was same this thing, like, forget about being rich. I can't make any money. Like I need to go. So I had to go get a job and I kind of followed this windy, twisty path, but I kept coming back to writing the whole time. I continued working on that novel, revising it, like I think three or four times over the course of about seven years. So it was this thing I kept trying to quit on. Like I kept trying to be like, you know what? This was fun, but now it's time to be an adult. It's trying to, time to grow up and got to pay the bills. And I kept trying to put it away, but I kept coming back to it. And more or less, I went through a string of different jobs. And the whole time in the odd hours, early in, in the morning, late at night, I was still working on this novel. I, I ended up completing it, uh, you know, fourth or fifth revision, whatever it was. And I ended up actually getting it in front of an agent who was interested for, for about five minutes. They ended up passing on it afterwards but they were still like the fact that he even responded was like this is actually pretty good send me the whole thing and i'll, I'll take a look at it kind of it sparked something where i was like okay the, you know undergrad was cool being a student was cool and being able to just focus on writing was cool i know what it's like to kind of be an adult now I've had a couple of different jobs i'm in the marine corps i'm doing this reservist thing I'm, I'm, I'm trying to but i'm still writing the whole time like there's a balance here now how do i figure out that balance and i basically had this you know this moment where i was like i want to keep doing this how do I make it happen? The MFA program, the MFA route seemed to make the most sense at the time. Uh, I did about a year of research looking at like every MFA program in the country, uh, trying to really get my ducks in a row before I made this jump because uh, I applied to like 18 different programs. And I was like, I don't think that that's the only way to do it by any stretch of the imagination. But I did think that like this was the best option for me and this is the best way for me to take those next steps to make, make, this, uh, make this a reality for myself in some way or another. There's the, there's the dog's uh, weekly, weekly cameo. 
that he makes on this on this podcast. I was telling a recent guest that uh, my, my wife has been out of town for uh, two weeks on a on a work project, yeah. and I cannot find for the, and she has no cell reception either. She's in the Amazon, uh, and I can't find the charger for the little beep thing that we use to train him on the parking. So it's actually just gotten worse while she's been gone. She'll, she'll listen to this and, and chuckle. Um, how much did you write while you were in the Marine Corps? Not nearly as much as I did when I was out. I have to be honest. Going back to that whole thing, you know, it's, it's weird. The whole idea of your identity gets kind of stripped away, uh, which a lot of people usually take this negative approach to. Uh, I get it. it. It's a scary. It's a scary feeling when you take that plunge and you you know it becomes a reality when you're suddenly thrust into the boot camp environment and you're like, oh wow, this is this is real. This is this is my life now for the next uh, next couple of weeks. You know, and it felt like a lifetime. Uh, I got away from it real quick from the writing. I, I was very focused on, like I said, not just being in the Marine Corps. I mean, I was a reservist, right? So you go through boot camp, you go through your MOS training, and then you're thrown back in the civilian world. You know, like, okay, I, I, me, for instance, I didn't have a job to come back to. I had left. I'd been a high school teacher, actually, before the Marine Corps. Joined the Marine Corps, came back from that. was like, there was no way. Uh, I hadn't really been loving teaching to begin with, but after that experience, I was like, there's no way I can go back to being in a high school classroom without going into like some weird drill instructor mode and getting fired. So I was like, yeah, this is probably the best break for me. Where, where do I want to go? So like I said, I was concerned about finding a job and finding like a career and really obsessed with that. And writing didn't seem to fit into it in that way. And I mean, I always, I was always taking notes on things. You know, I couldn't get away from like, you'd see something, I'd hear a story or some little detail and I, I'd be like, I need to hold on to that. So I'm a big apps guy on my phone with the notes. I'm always like taking notes. Uh, but as for actual writing, it wasn't, um, it wasn't as big of a part of my life until like the, maybe the second half of, of my, my contract. I started to get back more into it because like I said, I just couldn't get away from it. It's just the way my brain functions is like storytelling. The only thing that early on was I remember thinking boot camp is the perfect novel because there's a narrative arc already built in there. And I wanted to write just, I was, I was almost like challenged to myself. I was like, I could easily, cause you, you have a person who comes, they go through this transformative experience and they're changed at the end. And that's basically a story right there. So what, and it felt, it felt like low hanging fruit, um, took some notes, never actually did it, but you know, it was always in the back of my mind, but I would say that it was the second half of my contract that I really started to come back to writing in a, in a serious way. You're, you're so right about, uh, about bootcamp. I I'm working on some, some memoir style personal essays right now. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I've got like, I think like probably 40 or so pages from, from 30 pages from bootcamp. And I'm like, you know, I had to go back and watch some old videos, you know, that they have on YouTube from Air Force Basic Training and kind of look at some of those things to jog the memory. And then once I saw the buildings, once I saw the MTIs, once I saw the reflective belts, once I saw the, I'm like, oh, okay, it all just kind of came flooding back. like, And it just like follows this arc and you're like, oh man. And then you start to remember things about, you know, like what drove you there and what got you there and what you did right before. You're like, oh, that thing means something. And, you know, because I encountered this later and it's just, it's really interesting to put those, to kind of put those pieces together in retros, I've never been a big journaler, uh, mm. probably should be, I guess, but like, it's more of just like, this is a retroactive journaling exercise. Um, and, and it's fun to do it this way. Cause it's not a journal at this point. It's, it's, uh, it's narr narrativizing, you know, your, your life. Right. So you can, you can kind of lean into that memoir style and, and uh, whatever, uh, bit of a tangent, but, but, it, but it's fun. And, and you're absolutely right. If you're, if you, if you think through story and I, I, I feel that same, that same pull that you do as that kind of framework, the, the, the framework that I use to, to view the world. Like I think in scenes, I'm, I'm a screen, a trained screenwriter. So mm -hmm. 
I will think in terms of scenes, I will think in terms of blocking, I will think in terms of like where the camera might be in any given thing that like I'm experiencing personally or that, that somebody's describing to me. Um, and so it's, it, it, it's hard to get away. Like when you say you can't quit it, like it makes sense because once you start to see the world that way, just like I'm sure mathematicians see the world a certain way, like they're not able to not see the world that way. It's just, it becomes ingrained. It's, it's, it's in your blood. Exactly. Um, so I, I don't want to spend, I, I really want to talk about the podcast, but I kind of, kind of want to give the opportunity to lay a bit of a foundation here. Like what, what got you connected to, to Tom and what got you connected to, to patrol base Abate and involved there. And then, um, and this is a lethal minds journal endeavor, right? The, the podcast, or at least a, it's a, it's a partnership. Yes, exactly. We're, we're under cool. the lethal minds umbrella. Yeah. I mean, I got connected to Tom cause I sent an email. I mean, he, Tom Schumann is one of the few people I've met who will literally talk to anybody. Uh, I've seen it in practice. I would consider myself one of those examples of like, he does not like, if you reach out and he, you know, he had his kill zone page and that had gained a lot of followers, had a lot of traction and I followed it. Um, and then he put out the, the announcement about patrol base Abate. I didn't even really know what it was. I just saw it and they said they were looking for volunteers. They had a form. Uh, I was like, I wonder what this is about. And then it said, like, any special interests, anything you want from from reading to knitting, anything in between, like, we want to hear from you. And I said, OK. And I you know, said, oh, I'm this MFA program, yada, yada. I love reading books. Maybe we do a book club or something like that. Sent it off. And I immediately forgot that I even did that. And like maybe a month or two later, I got an email back uh, basically saying, are you still interested? We're getting a book club together. I jumped on a Zoom call that lasted all of about five minutes. Uh, there was a couple of veterans on there uh, who were also interested in, 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 in doing this endeavor. Uh, I don't think Tom even turned his camera on the whole time. It sounded like he was driving somewhere. He just kind of was like, okay, you seem cool. Send us your DD-214 and then we'll we'll have at it. And I remember getting off the phone and going to, I called my brother. I was like, yeah, I think I'm like starting a book club for veterans or something. He's like, well, like, what are you going to be reading? I was like, oh, I don't know. I think they're going to probably tell me or something. And Nope, that's not the way it works. Patrol Base Abate is one of these organizations where the sky really is the limit within pretty much, you know, pretty much any reason. If you have an idea, they're going to they're going to do their best to make it make it come to fruition. So, you know, I, I, I jumped in January 2021. We had our first meeting and uh, it was, you know, small Zoom meetup and quickly started growing from there. About six months later, we had our first program out in Montana where. We, uh, you know, we did our retreat. Everybody got together in person. It was a beautiful spot. Uh, we had a really great weekend reconnecting. Everybody, I mean, when I say reconnecting, I don't, I don't mean like nobody really knew each other. I think there were a couple of friends out there, but everybody was pretty much strangers. But reconnecting in the sense that that veteran experience was, it was shared, you know, across. And that's the other cool thing about Patrol Base Abate is it's not all Marines. It's not all infantry. It's not all combat veterans. It's, you've got people from the Air Force. You've got people from the Navy. You've got men. You've got women. You've got people from all walks of life who did four years in, in the military up to full careers. And they're coming together and bonding over this kind of universal experience of what it was like to serve in the military for better or for worse, you know, bonding over the good and the bad and being able to connect in that way. And somewhere around there, uh, Tom had mentioned that he had kind of secretly started this other Instagram page called Lit of War uh, and was completely, he just had too much stuff going on. He's like, I think you'd be a good fit given the stuff you've done with the book club. How do you feel about joining with me? doing that. And I said, yeah, sure. What do you want to do? He's like, here's the passwords. Uh, he gave me the wrong one. The first time I logged in, it was his personal Instagram account with like pictures of his kids. I was like, I don't think this is right. He was like, whoops, here's the right one. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is right. He's like, all right, have at it. And once again, he's the kind of leader who will give you the keys and be like, I trust you 
do what you got to do. And from there, it just started taking off. You know, it was an Instagram page for the first year. But it quickly, it started to grow into this, like, like well, what do we want to do? Because we see there's response, right? We're getting a lot of people reaching out, both in and outside the military, who want to hear more about this concept. And it's not war literature in the sense that it's it's about experiencing war necessarily. I mean, war in its simplest definition is just uh, two opposing forces at odds with each other to get to a particular end, right? Like there's some sort of struggle going on. And that's exactly kind of the approach we're taking, like war literature to us could mean a variety of different things. And so we were trying to figure out then if we have this concept that's clearly resonating with the community, how do we have a direct effect on the community? And uh, that's what started our first library drive where we're trying to donate 500 books to five military units that are all active duty units right now across the United States, some of whom are you know outside the United States and get them the books that they need to kind of uh, better themselves try and get, get, get more, not just like, here's a bag of books that like, you know, they're, you know, I spoke to one unit and they said, we're kind of interested in this, but the last time we did a, a drive like this, a book drive, we got a bunch of like unreadable romance novels and cookbooks and that doesn't help. And we were deployed at the time in a somewhat austere environment where that like cookbooks don't really play any type of role. So, okay. Book drives are cool, but how do we take it beyond just, here's a bag of books. Like we're, we're, we have an Amazon wish list in which like you can go on there and we've curated uh, a number of selections that we think are of value to the, to the community. Um, so that's how it got started. And that's where we're at right now. We're trying to just keep pushing, pushing and get these books out to those troops. One thing that I love about this kind of little pocket of our, of our community that, that, that's kind of anchored by, by the PB Abate book club um, and dead reckoning collective and, and, Lethal Minds Journal to an extent, although Lethal Minds Journal kind of gets into this other category that I, that I want to talk about. But uh, it it seems today, and actually the, the the day we're recording this tomorrow, the episode that's going to go live is with is with uh, Raymond Lott, the, the Marine rapper. Mm-hmm. And something that he and I talked a lot about was like the connection through story, right? And obviously he does it through music, and he does it through collaboration with other. Um, genres of music and other people that he may or may not agree with either politically or, or have similar cultural experiences or whatever. And so it, it kind of got me thinking about it kind of last night and, and, and this morning was we are inundated with nonfiction. We're inundated with political memoirs. We're inundated with sort of think pieces, right? And Substack, which is an amazing thing, has, has kind of become pretty obsessed with that, right? The, the alternative to the mainstream media and getting the correct information or getting you know, heterodox information out there. What I love about what's going on in, in this other little pocket is that we're focused on story, which is something that you and I opened this podcast talking about, right? Is that in your mind at all as you as you share these stories and share these experiences and share these books with people? Do you think at all about the dichotomy between kind of fiction and, and narrative and, and thinking and feeling through story versus the rest of what we're inundated with as a culture? Yeah. A hundred percent. I am a bit like when pe- one of the things that always makes me kind of cringe a little bit is people say like, well, I, I don't read fiction that much. It, it didn't, it's made up. It didn't happen. I'm like, oh my God, no, I don't agree with that at all. There's so much truth in fiction, right? We're talking about emotional truth here. Uh, people are obsessed with facts. I feel like as a culture, we're starting to experience data burnout where everybody loves an expert. Everybody loves the, well, 57% of, and oftentimes we're seeing that a lot of times that that's the, that information is manipulated. It can be, it can be proven to be false later. It's misinterpreted. It can be, it can be twisted in a lot of different ways. Uh, I don't mean that in a political sense. I I mean, like literally people are doing it with the best intentions most of the time, but it, it doesn't end up panning out that way. And there, there is so much potential 
to 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 dig at something that's a lot deeper and truer in, in in a story, right? Like, I mean, I think Tim O'Brien. We're speaking about war literature. The things they carried, how to tell a true war story, is one of my favorite pieces of writing. And just this sense of having an experience and trying to articulate that experience and the and the distance between, right? Like, that's so interesting. One of the things I gave up on. One of the most important lessons I learned about writing fiction is like you come up with an idea and you're like, okay, so I'm going to have this like the coffee cup will be a metaphor for, for purity and, or some weird thing. And you're trying to like force this on the reader. And I cannot tell you, I've been in so many workshops where I had an idea, I put an intention into it and everybody takes something completely different away. That's not to say that it doesn't matter. It's to say that there's this, this, I'm more interested in the space between the writer, the reader, and the story that's floating in between the two of them, right? There's this connection that's going on. It's just not because it's not because I meant to say something and nobody got that, that it makes it false, right? There's just, there's this, there's these layers in fiction um, that can happen in nonfiction too. I'm not saying that they're not mutually exclusive, they're mutually exclusive, but there's, the, there's just so much depth that you can get from fiction that I, I wish people were more open-minded to with just like, instead it's like, just tell me it, you know, just tell me what, what you're trying to say. If I knew exactly what I was trying to say, I probably wouldn't have spent six, 12 months writing about it. You know what I mean? Like I, I there's an exploration factor that goes into, into fiction that I, I find very valuable. Um, so yeah, that's always on my mind. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, very well said. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think I, I don't want to speak for you, but I, 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 that doesn't mean that it's relative, right? Like, it doesn't mean that it's like, oh, well, this means this to me and this means that to them. And so therefore both people's, you know, lowercase t truths are equally true. It's like, no, there's actually a spectrum spectrum and a range of emotional depth, which is what you said, right? And and truth layered in there. Mm-hmm. And people are going to gravitate towards different aspects of that based on their own life experiences, whether they did experience combat or war or deployment or, you know, insert whatever here, uh, that, that's, they're going to see something, you know, hear something and get something different from that. I think, I can't remember if it was Chesterton or Tolkien had might not have been either one of them, but it kind of like in that that realm. But they said somebody said um, uh, fantasy is not uh, fantasy literature is not an escape mechanism; it's a coping mechanism, right? And I think that's like true of fiction, right? Like people are like, oh, I only read nonfiction because, like you said, I want to hear what actually happened. It's like, well, that, that fiction can tell you what actually happens, right? Like in in kind of the present tense. And again, I agree with you. I'm not denigrating nonfiction. I'm not denigrating political memoir. I'm not denigrating. I, I consume that too, right? I think those things are, are important, just like anything is um, kind, of, kind of within reason. Um, so, uh, the the podcast or the uh, excuse me, the Instagram handle started. Was there any sort of when when Tom handed it off to you? Was there any sort of um, hey, this is the vision I could see it, direction I could see it going in, or was it like hey, take this, let's figure out what we can do with it together, or take this and you figure out what we're going to do with it? What was the what was the the um, the the uh, evolution from from a, a, a Instagram page to to where we are now with the podcast? Of course, yeah. I mean, the, the initial idea was to to build a library, like a physical library that was open to the public. This was what Tom had, had said to me when we were speaking about it. Let's get a library; it can be open to the public, and it's going to be staffed by veteran writers, right? Like there'll be a residency program in which you know the way we would staff this this facility is veteran writers could come here. They maintain it. They keep the doors open. They keep the lights on. They keep the place clean and everything. They, they help people find books or whatever. And in the meantime, they get to work on whatever project uh, they're they're working on. Now, that's still kind of the vision. Uh, we haven't quite gotten to 
purchasing real estate yet. Uh, that's, you know, that's down, down the line, but it comes down to like, how do we have a direct impact? Like, how do we have a direct impact and how are we, how are we bettering everybody who's a part of this community? And that part of that's the, the book drive part of that's getting books into the hands of the troops, the men and women who are currently serving right now, whether they're here in the States or abroad somewhere, something that they can, they, they can hold on to and actually, and actually read, right. There's uh, there's that component. There's also the component of, of the podcast, which is going to be coming out now. Um, basically we wanted to have a wider reach and, and, and kind of engage with the community in a way that that's beneficial uh, in a way that's outside of just reading books. And that's how we started this idea of a podcast, you know, going back to stories uh, the way this podcast works is I've got a stellar list of uh, guests who've been once again, very, very giving of their time, very willing to sit down uh, and help everybody out. And the way I started off is with a story. They have to tell me a story on the spot with no notes, no preparation, no reading from a, from a card or anything like that, just from memory about an important moment in their life. Uh, and that's how every episode starts. It's like, just tell me a story. And they, they go through that. And then we talk about the story a little bit. And then from there, we start to engage more in like, you know, whatever works they're working on, whatever books they have coming out, uh, or just their thoughts on literature and, and, and how it functions. How many episodes have you recorded? How many guests have you recorded with at this point? So far, we've got three episodes down, which will be coming out through July. We're looking at a every three week drop is kind of the idea right now that might change. Um, but the goal is to have maybe 10 to 12 in this first season. Um, and it's going to it's going to evolve too. you know, these these first couple episodes are going to be conversations going back and forth. Uh, but we're like I said, I'm, I'm very much like execute, adjust. Let's do this, see how it works. And if somebody has a better idea, then we can we can open it up as well. There's also another organization uh, so, so we are under the Lethal Minds umbrella. They they took us on, wanted to support this podcast. We were very grateful for their support. They've been excellent in helping us get up and running. Uh, it's a great team over there. Uh, but they also connected us with a, a program based out of North Carolina called Brothers and Sisters Like These, which I would definitely recommend everybody checks out. This started as a writing program for Vietnam veterans in 2016. So relatively recent program around writing for Vietnam veterans who are experiencing, still experiencing PTSD. Uh, and it took off. It quickly grew to not just encompassate um, Vietnam veterans, but uh, veterans from other wars as well. And they have a really interesting series of episodes on their uh, on their website, a podcast where they just have veterans come in and basically tell their stories, you know, uh, with their own words. You know, there's this idea and I experienced with, with the Patrol Base Abate Book Club. I've experienced it with Literature of War. Veterans come in and they've had a lifetime of experience in a short amount of time. And they've done some, they've done things and whether that's combat or not, combat, they've been around the world. They've seen things, they've done things. They've fought fires, they've fought enemy, they've done it all, but they come in and they sit down and they get like, they feel like they're not literary enough, whatever the hell that means. They're, they feel they're not intellectual enough. I, I hear people, Oh, I'm not really, I don't know if I can say this the best way. I I'm not, I'm not a poetry person. I, I don't, uh, my, my top goal is to shoot that down real quick. Like you're, you're welcome here. First of all, your story matters. You don't need to be published by a major publishing house for your story to matter. You know, tell it with your words, the way you would over, over a cup of coffee with a friend or over a beer at a bar. And, and we'll work on the language. We can work on revising and all that we can come at, but don't, don't try and sound literary. Don't try and sound like a writer, whatever that means, you know, sound like yourself. Just tell me the story, the way you remember it. 
and, and we and we go from there. And that's exactly kind of the aim of this podcast as well. Is like, let's get somebody who's had a couple of novel, novels published. Let's get somebody who's who's got a, a stellar publishing history here and just tell them, tell me a story off the cuff and see what that actually sounds like just person to person. Why do you think that's so important? I, I, I've experienced people, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? Like what you're saying resonates. I feel it right here that people are like, oh, I, I'm not, I'm not blank enough, so I can't do X, right? Why is it so important both to you personally? And then why do you think it's important objectively to encourage those people, people in general, to tell their own stories that way and not worry about being quote unquote literary enough? Of course, it goes right back to what we were talking about before about that emotional truth, right? People have a built-in bullshit detector. I, I'm a firm believer of that. When you start trying to use fancy words or what you think are fancy words or trying to use, or trying to invert sentences that the Yoda speak, that's a classic one. People just like it. They think if they invert a sentence, it sounds better. It doesn't. Uh, most times they think that they're sounding smarter or it sounds more professional or something like that. And it lacks authenticity because it's not, it's not you, right? Uh, there, people can tell that. I can tell that. And I'm a big believer if the, if the reader... If, if you're not enjoying, it's, it comes down to enjoyment too. I can tell when people are like, it feels forced. And if you're not enjoying writing it or telling it, nobody's going to enjoy listening to it or, or, or reading it, right? That's that's another one of these convert, one of these relationships that, that's pretty standard. Like you need to be able to enjoy telling that story that when you're loose and relaxed and just, and telling it, I've experienced that too, where I, you know, sitting around, not, not going into storytelling mode necessarily, but I, you know, somebody will say, oh, this, that, and the other thing. And I start telling a story off the cuff and all of a sudden you see everybody's head start turning. Everybody quiets down. They're focused on every word that you're, and you're, and in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, I got something here. I got, and it's because, and I wasn't even thinking about it. You know, I'm just like telling it as I remember it. Authenticity, that emotional truth comes through when you're, when you're using your actual voice, the way you would talking to your closest friend and not on a stage trying to perform for somebody. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's, I think that's dead on. I also, I also think that, if you are somebody who's going to write more after that, right, you have to start with that foundation because that's the only way you're going to get through some of those, you know, if you want to call them mistakes, right, or if you want to call them learning opportunities, right, you get through some of those, work through some of those kinks. If, if you discover like, hey, I've got something here, I've got a knack for this, I've got an interest, I've got a talent, I've got whatever it might be, I kind of want to work on this writing thing or this storytelling thing, you have to start from that place of, of, of truth telling and, and authenticity or you're going to be building whatever comes next, whether it is writing or whether it is something else on a shaky foundation right. and it's going to fall. Definitely. What, um, Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I, I was going to say, uh, that's not to say, and I, I want to be clear here. It's not to say that there's no, no use for revision, right? It's not to say that the, yeah, you know, there, there, there's a whole, I've met a lot of resistance to revision as well. And I, I think this is a process, but like you said, it's that foundation starting from a solid foundation is just going to guarantee you more success and more authenticity down the line. Yeah. We're dancing around a delicate topic, right? Because it's like, you, you, we want to be, we want to encourage people to, to be open and truthful and give us their full selves and then be like, but we're going to also, if we really like it, that means we're going to offer some advice and some revisions and some thoughts and all that. And it gets into this dicey territory where some people are like, yo, I don't want that. I'm just, you, I'm just doing what you told me to do, man. I'm just trying to tell the truth. Yeah. That's funny. Um, Okay. So have you ever hosted a podcast before? I mean, ha, w w were, how, how did you feel going into this process? Like, were you scared? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Were you like, what, like walk me through that? 
Oh yeah. It was like all of the above, you know, I wasn't scared necessarily, but it, I, so I played in a lot of punk bands growing up through like middle school into high school into college. So I had some recording experience, uh, through various, you know, at home sort of DIY kind of stuff. But I mean, like my recording studio is my closet. I have no problem. It's, there's been a lot of jokes. I, you know, I've been getting on these zoom calls with, with authors who I really respect. And there I am with like my shirts hanging in the background because that's the only, I mean, I I'm in an apartment where there there's construction going on across the street. You know, I don't, I, when we do the PBA book club stuff, I'll sit there and just do it in my room. We're not recording any of that stuff, right? We, we make sure that those are kind of like you had to be there to experience it. We people get very, very, uh, very sincere and very, um, you know, they're, they're very direct and, and truthful. So we we try and maintain that that kind of privacy. Recording a podcast is a little different. This is going to be played on Spotify, on you know Apple Music, whatever. We got to make sure it sounds good. So I'm in my closet with like my microphone hanging there, just trying to make sure that uh, everything. Like I was saying before, it's it's a new world for me. You know, writing is one thing. Public, I've had a couple of things published, and it's always kind of a it's an interesting experience. It's a lot weirder when you hear yourself recorded. Uh, it's kind of a strange. You kind of got to get over it, not think too much about it. Just just get through it. Uh, you know, it's been interesting going through the editing process and being able to cut things out and, and splice things together and make things sound nice and shiny. But I mean, it's it's fun. It's exhilarating. You know, this I'm very much about like, let's build the plane as we're flying it, execute. We'll just adjust on the fly. I'd rather get it out there and have people hear it and be like, hey, this was pretty cool, but this sounds like it was recorded in a tin can. Let's let's work on that, which has kind of been, once again, going back to Lethal Minds, the support I've had over there has been really great. We're all volunteers, by the way. You know, there's nobody who's getting paid to do this stuff. So, you know, everybody's coming home from work and we're jumping on, on the computer and going through things and, and reshaping it on our own time. So there's a certain type of passion that gets brought to an environment like that where there, it's not nobody's doing it for a paycheck. We're doing it because we like to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way there. They're, and I'm sure you'll experience this and, and we'll have, I'll have you back on after a certain amount of time, after a certain number of episodes have gone live and you've kind of gone through the iterations you're talking about and we can unpack it because it's super cool to go through the experience of like, for, for a long time for me with this podcast, I recorded, you know, I had the idea for it a couple of years ago. I recorded one episode a year and a half ago. I waited like six or eight weeks to record the next episode and then four weeks between that one and then three weeks between the next one. And then all of a sudden now I'm just like, yo, I got to get these out week after week after week. So I'll, I'll batch them out like we were talking about with using the Riverside platform. I've got like 15 hours a month I can record. So like, let me just kind of batch these and record as I go. And then now I think this will be episode, you know, mid 40, something like that. And, and it's like, and I've got, I think like 12 in the can, you know, for, for the going into the, you know, at the end at uh, programming for the end of the summer. And I've, I've thought many times like, Ooh, I wish I would have done that. And I have to kill that thought because it's just on to the next one. And like th those thoughts and those, those, um, those changes will catch up to me. Right. Like that's kind of the way that I, I view it. Like, let me just keep recording. Let me keep putting this out there. Let me keep doing this. And that stuff will catch up to me rather than me keep trying to like, if I try to implement that thing, it's just going to, it's going to derail this, this entire thing. Just got to go, 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 go. Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing about writing, right? Is writing is this very isolated craft where most of it is happening in your head or on a blank page in, in, in an empty room where it's just you, right? You're just solo by yourself, isolated. And that can be really deadly because if you don't have somebody on your back saying you got to get a deadline and, uh, you know, you got to get this in by this deadline, you can just put that off for for years. I mean, literally, it just never because you, you can always go back and you're your own worst critic and you start to just like you, you dismantle the whole thing all over again. 
podcasting and broadcasting in this way is a lot different because once you get it out there, it's like, you can't, I mean, I guess you could take it down and re-edit it, but like people have heard it, you know what I mean? Like you gotta, like you're saying emotionally, just kind of cut that off. Like, yep, maybe you could have done this or that, but we got to move forward here. Let's just keep pushing. I, I think that's a more effective way of just improving too, right? Like to kind of get out there and just keep, keep pushing. No doubt. I mean, the way that I think about it, it's like I, the, you know, the, I'm not, I'm not shy about the goals of this, right? The goal is to get bigger and bigger guests and get, you know, bigger and better opportunities that come out of this. And the fact of the matter is, if I just sit around and try to uh, strategize the best way to get those people on here, then by the time I do get them on here, I will not have built up enough repetitions to be good at the craft of having a conversation with them and talking to them about the thing that they're there to plug or the thing that they're there to talk about or the thing. I want to be able to bring the best out of you. And if I wouldn't have recorded 40 six episodes or whatever it is before this, I would not be able to have this conversation as presently with you as I can now, because yeah. I would have been like, Ooh, how do, how do I get Plunkett on the podcast to talk about this? You know, it's like, no, that's bullshit. Just do the work. Just do it. Of course. Um, okay. Speaking of doing the work, uh, I, I saw that you've got um, Stephen Pressfield as, as lined up as a guest. Can you kind of tease us with some of the folks that you have interviewed, some of the folks that you're going to be interviewing? Tell us how some of those conversations have gone and, and, and what people can, I know you've already described kind of the, the, uh, the, the framework of the podcast, but tease us a little bit. Tell us what, what, what what's in store. I mean, I, I, right off the bat, all I can say to start is I just feel incredibly grateful for the amount of time that all these writers have given me. I, I feel like I've got like a one-on-one -on -one mentorship program going on in my closet over there where I just sit down and get to, you know, the, the, the book club is one thing we, we sit, we have conversations as a group, but this is literally just me with another individual going back and forth and asking like hard hitting questions and just questions about, about their, their life. You know, Stephen Pressfield, for instance, he, he, his memoir, which I highly recommend everybody check out government cheese that came out not too long ago, which we talk about at length in there. It's very interesting because he's, he's released a, a series of books about the craft of writing and, and how to do, like you were saying, how to do the work and, you know, the, the war of art, which was the first one. And he's had a couple others that have come out after that. And he really gets into his process and this concept he calls the resistance of like what's preventing a person from doing that because he he wasn't published right out of like when he was in his 20s he had a very interesting winding twisty path that took him all over the country to all different types of jobs which he talks about in this memoir and that finally led him uh to his writing career and even when he started writing it was years before he got anything published and it was years before anything really succeeded and it's really interesting to get his insights now, having having had a tremendous amount of success, and he's still out there doing the thing. He's still out there writing, and and kind of how that developed, and being able to like really just ask him point blank, like what worked and what didn't, and what what led you there. Uh, you know, I, the episode that's going to be uh, premiering this week with Elliot Ackerman, who has an, an, a novel out uh, called Halcyon. We got into history. Uh, this novel that he wrote is like it's an alternative history novel in which. It's the United States, modern day kind of United States, early 2000s, but Al Gore's president, uh, the global war on terror didn't go nearly as long and scientists have cured, figured out a way to cure death. And that's the premise of this novel. So it's like, it's the world you recognize, but it's slightly shifted in, in pretty major ways. And we talked, we just got into, into the weeds about the battle of Gettysburg and these kind of what if moments in history and the way that relates to being a veteran, because that's so often kind of. You, you play the tape back in your head, all these experiences you had, how things could be dramatically different if one little thing had gone a different way. Uh, I've also got an episode with Phil Cly, who was, you know, he's an intellectual giant. The guy, my head was spinning after that conversation. I have no problem admitting that. There was a couple of times going back to recording podcasts, like where he said a couple of things. I was just like, 
you know, being the, as I'm sure you're familiar with being a host of a podcast, you kind of got to be ready with the next question and make sure the conversation goes. And a couple of things he said, I was like, just kind of sitting there. I was like, wow, I got to think about that for a minute. Like, <laughs> cause he, these are all writers who have like, they've got established careers behind them. They, they, they've, they've already done the work. They've published really influential stuff and it's happening right now, right? They're relevant, right? It's not like Moby Dick where, which I, you know, love to talk about all the time. One of my favorite books, but Herbert Melville has been dead for quite a while. He's not going to be on my podcast anytime soon. I have writers who are currently at like at their peak right now. They're, they're in their prime and they're willing to sit down and, and talk to me about just, you know, from their, from their own living rooms, right? Like he's, like we were saying before, I'm not flying them out like Joe Rogan does where we're, we're sitting down from other ends of the country and, and talking about literature and just kind of what makes them tick as writers. I mean, it's, it's been a really great experience so far. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Do you do you think at all about who your audience is? Have you targeted um, an audience, or, or are you just having these conversations and kind of seeing where they're going? Great question. I mean, it's it's something you have to consider. I would love to just have like Mike Plunkett's podcast about writing, and it would go and it would be in seventy five different directions. Everybody would be like, "What the hell is this?" Because that's kind of the way I think. You know, I'm obsessed with all these different things. I can tell you about. This thing, this random fact about the Battle of Gettysburg, because I'm a Civil War nerd, I can also talk to you about like the Titanic, because I'm a, I, I went through a Titanic phase. I'll be all over the damn place. Uh, we did have to kind of focus in on war literature and what that exactly means, right? And like I said before, I don't want this to be like uh, memoirs about having experienced combat during the global war on terror, which there's obviously a place for. I'm not suggesting there's not, but that's a very niche specific subject. We wanted to broaden it enough that like anybody who's been in the military or even outside of the military can relate to this, right? Because war affects everybody. It does not just affect you if you're if you're in the service. Uh, and we want to make it accessible to, to everybody in a way that can relate to kind of these deeper emotional truths, right? Like that was kind of our angle. Uh, it's that's still pretty broad, but we want to focus in on writers who who have done that kind of published that kind of work that that relates to that in some way. Yeah, it's a good broad place to start from, right? Like, you, you, a, you got to start somewhere, and B, as, as you said, you're going to kind of, uh, you know, execute and adjust, right? Like, you've you've got to prioritize something, and you got to execute on that, and then just adjust as as you go. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. You've got to, I guess, I mean, probably trying to think if uh, you know James Cameron writes screenplays and makes films, and Titanic was a film, so you probably got to try to get him on there too, you know? Why not? Um, which which would that uh, which should be cool, but. Um, but yeah, no, I, th I think that's something, you know, I think back, back to what you were saying about people in general, and I think in particular, our, our, our community, the veteran community, military community, like our bullshit detector is on high alert, right? So if, if you're, if you're tr being too targeted with who your audience is, or like trying to sell something, or trying to like do this thing, like people are going to be like, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all set with that. I'm going to turn that off. And so I think balancing between, between having a point of view and a perspective and a point to the conversation that you're having while also leaving it open to where that conversation might go because you're bringing interesting people on who are kind of coalescing around a couple of different types of experiences and maybe, um, you know, a, a, a theme or something I think is a really, really smart way to do it. Um, how does it integrate into the, the lethal minds journal, like umbrella? I know a few of those guys over there, obviously a couple have been on the podcast, but how, do, how does the programming work? Like how integrated are, are they and the editorial staff over there into, into this and how do you kind of work with them? What's the, what's the relationship like? Yeah, the, it's, it's a great relationship. Like I said before, they, they have done a tremendous effort of making us feel welcome and supporting us. I mean, they, they've really, they started off at, with the Lethal Minds Journal, trying to be a voice for those who are in the barracks, you know, bring it down from 
way up high. Uh, there's a, there's a, like we were saying before, there's a lot of military writing out there that's for a certain level, right? You have to be of a certain rank or on a certain side of the military, and it kind of closes out some of the least heard voices, right? Who are the, the boots on the ground, the 18, 19 year old Lance Corporals who are out there actually doing the thing. So that was kind of the, the mission was to, to welcome veteran writers in, or not military writers, military veteran, whatever that experience was, give them a voice uh, through the journal. And it, it took really quickly, you know, it, we, it grew very quickly and became, it started to branch out into current events, right? We, there's a lot of real, really stellar freelance journalists who are doing awesome work there, not just reporting from a distance, but getting on the ground in some of the hottest zones out there doing the actual reporting from, from, those, from those stories. Uh, but they also wanted to branch out into this idea of more of the literary aspect, which is where we came in, uh, not just current events, not just reporting, not just people talking about their experiences, but the the the, the great uh, body of literature that's resting on the military experience as well as well as as war experience. Uh, so that's how we ended up coming in. Uh, we were happy to join. Uh, like I said, we've been really well supported by them. Uh, it's a great team all all around. Awesome. I love it. Um, okay, so I, to wrap things up here this morning, I've been asking an open-ended question to, to end the podcast uh, uh, recently. Not so recently now, I guess I've done it several times now. It's the new way to end the podcast for now until we adjust, right? Uh, what is there anything in particular that's on your heart or your mind for, for our community uh, that, that you want to get out there, whether it's a piece of advice, whether it's just something you want to say and get off your chest or something you think is important for people to hear? Of course, we talk a lot about getting comfortable being uncomfortable, right? When people will say that all the time, usually that translates to something physical, like sleeping outside, doing, going on, going through a rough workout or, or doing something of a physical nature. Uh, I think if there was one thing I could say to the veteran community, it's we got to get comfortable being uncomfortable in other ways, intellectually as well, right? Uh, going back to what I was saying before about people not wanting to read fiction and the resistance to like, oh, I don't really want to read. That's not really something... I, Get, try, try it out, you know, branch out there and try and see some other perspectives outside of like the stuff that you, you normally do, right? Getting comfortable being uncomfortable can mean more than just uh, physical, physical things. It can be intellectual as well. It can be philosophical. Uh, I love seeing it at the book club when people come in and they're like, I never would have read this book if I hadn't, hadn't come to this book club session. And I love it when people come in and say, I never would have read this book if I hadn't come here and I probably won't ever read this book again because I didn't like it. I'm fine with that. That's fine. But just get comfortable being uncomfortable in more ways than just maybe in a physical sense, you know, really try and fully embody that in every experience in your life. I love it. That's a great answer. Um, that's a great answer. I love that one. Well, awesome. Where can people find you uh, and the podcast and then and where, where can people discover whatever it is they need to discover about the things we've talked about here? Okay, of course. Yeah, I got a couple of handles. You've got the uh, literature of war. If you, if you look that up on Instagram, uh, it's at lit of war. Uh, you can check me out too at Michael Jerome Plunkett. It's all one word. Uh, you can always hit me up there. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on there as well as at PBA book club. That's our, the book club's handle as well as, uh, at patrol base Abate. Uh, any four of those I'll be around. I would love to get in touch with anybody who wants to, you know, wants to get involved. Happy to, happy to chat. Awesome. Well, dude, listen. I sincerely appreciate your time. Sincerely appreciate what you do with the uh, with the book club, um, and now what you're doing with the podcast. I'm stoked to dive in and and take a listen. And uh, I'm sure this will not be definitely not going to be the first time we see each other in, in little boxes because I'll see you tomorrow to talk about some Didion uh, tomorrow night. But um, but I'm sure we'll we'll record again and uh, look forward to that.
Thanks, Kerry. Appreciate you having me on, man. All right, brother. We'll see you. Right.